0: You're listening to a sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Niagara. We believe in unapologetic preaching, unashamed adoration of Jesus, unceasing prayer, and unafraid witness. Thank you for listening. So good to be back. It was so, we're so thankful to our elders for a couple of months off where we could uh, rest and I could study and we could spend time as a family, but I got to tell you this, there's no place like home. And uh, we got to visit some other church. And every time we walked out, I was like, ah, not home. It was okay, but not, not home. And nice people, not our people, you know. So it's so good to be back. We've missed you a lot. and we've been praying for you. And I can't wait to open up God's word uh, together with you uh, again. This is a special place. It's amazing to be, uh, as the song said, just where I'm meant to be. As we sang that first song, I was like, man, that's just a confirmation of the Lord. This is where we're meant to be. And it's so good to have that uh, today. Uh, before we get into the text this morning, I know you want to get there because you're eager to get to the text, right? So, Exodus 33 is where we're going to be. Exodus 33, you can look, uh, start looking at that up in your Bibles. And if you don't have a Bible, uh, ushers are coming down right now to give you a copy of God's Word. We're going to be in Exodus, actually, 32 and 33. And uh, before we get to, one of the things we're looking forward to is, again, is Easter this year. Just a quick Easter announcement. It's only one month away. And uh, we're really excited to come and, and to really dedicate a, a good portion of our uh, month and our week to just focusing on the cross and all that Christ has accomplished for us through the cross and through the empty tomb. So Easter services, here they are. Uh, Good Friday at 9 and 10.30, one-hour services, full childcare this year. And then Easter Sunday, moving the first service up, so we're not rushed, 8.30 and 11. So two services on Easter Sunday. And also baptisms at Easter. We have a bunch of people signed up for baptism, and so it's going to be a powerful Sunday. And we encourage you to, to, to get excited to start praying. Invite your friends and family to have invites for you. Uh, we're really looking forward to all that God has in store for us this Easter. One month away, start praying already. This is a time where God brings people to church that can hear the gospel for the first time. Last Easter, we had almost 900 people over two services Easter Sunday people who heard the gospel. We're planting seeds. We're not in charge of making those seeds plant, uh, bear fruit. We're in charge of planting them, right? God does the rest. So pray hard. Invite people. also want to uh, encourage you. I know there's a lot going on Easter Sunday or Easter weekend with family get-togethers, but it's also a great time to to serve the Lord. Don't just come in and get and get uh, what you can get out of it. Serve the Lord. And so we're going to keep our regular serving rotations going on um, throughout the whole weekend, uh, but we're going to Break it up differently. Good Friday, uh, teams uh, one and two. So, first service, Good Friday, team one. Second service, team two. And then Easter Sunday, first service, team three. Second service, team four. So, everyone's just serving once on the weekend. If you all be committed to doing that, that would be fantastic. That way, we're not scrambling. We're not having people miss service and all those things. If you just commit to serving once on your regular team, that would be great. If you could rearrange your stuff uh, for the Lord, I'm sure He would be more than honored by that as well. And so, looking forward to a good uh, Easter Sunday. But, um, Let's get to the text. I'm excited to share with you. Just bear with me this week. I haven't, prayed, I haven't preached in like two months, and so it's all stored up in there. And so I'm well aware of that, and I've tried to get my notes down to a regular. It's, it's going to be hard, so I'll try to speak faster, but I might be a little longer. Is that all right? Excited. Um, a lot of time to reflect, over two months and it took me a good month to kind of wind down a little bit and get to a place of relaxation to be honest but a lot of time to reflect and just think about all that God's done in seven years we moved here seven years ago in favor all that God's done in seven years and I want to be honest it's it's a little bit overwhelming but it's also awesome we moved here in 2011, and there was 20 people in our little core group, and we got on our knees, and we prayed hard. We, all we had is prayer and faith. That's all we had to our name, no, nothing else. And we remember all those memories of meeting as a core group, going, oh, God, if you could just meet with us as we plant this church, if you could just do something significant that the world might see you're alive, that in five years, ten years, we could look back on this, and we could say, there is no shadow of a doubt. This is not a work of man. This is the living God. That's the prayers we prayed. October 2nd, 2011, we launched, and standing out in the foyer, pouring rain, Brian McGrath and are going, like, is anyone going to show up? And I was like, I don't know, but I don't know what we're going to do. We're going to worship the God with all that we have, and I'm going to preach my heart out. It's not going to change. And then God filled that room that first Sunday, and he just kept do, keeps doing it and doing it and doing it. And uh, last year, we had between five and 700 people every Sunday, an average of 600 people, upwards of over 700 people on a Sunday morning. Who does that? Only God. Start thinking about all the salvations we've seen. Some of you guys weren't even Christians when we came. Isn't that awesome? Baptisms, we've averaged 20 or more baptisms a year. 123, 25 baptisms. Child dedications, I lost count like year two because you guys are doing well in that category. (laughs) There is something in the water in Niagara for sure. My theory is true. Harvest kids, and. 20 some odd average, it's just, it's just awesome to see all that God has done. I was thinking about this over the break and I can truly say that this verse is true to us, Psalm 118 verse 23, this is the Lord's doing, I can't forget that, this is the Lord's doing and it's marvelous in our eyes. It's just been refreshing to the soul to think back, I remember, we just celebrated Zach's 14th birthday this past week, he was six when we moved here, where did that go? God has been good to us, more good than we deserve. Spent a lot of time being thankful, just being thankful for God bringing us here, for God allowing us to see his goodness and his glory. Some people don't see stuff like this happen in a lifetime in a church, and we're seeing it firsthand. We don't get the credit for it as God. Also spent a lot of time not just looking backwards, though, thinking, okay, God, here we are. Six and a half years, where are you taking us? Where are we going? What do you want to do in our lives? Where do you want to take our church? And and how have you uniquely placed us in Niagara that we can make a difference? We don't want to be just like the old men in Tim Hortons on Saturday morning that just revel in the glory days, do we? We want to see what God has in store for us. You look, you drive with, you're looking in the rearview mirror for long enough. You're going to hit the ditch. And so we don't want to just look in the rearview. I'm praying, God, give us fresh vision for where you're taking us. Show us what you want to do in our lives, in our church. And he kept bringing me back to the same passage we started with. And I kept going, okay, that was good. Two, seven years ago, what, what about now? And he kept bringing me back to the exact same passage I preached when I preached my first message for Harvest Niagara. Exodus 33, it's the driving force behind our church, it's the vision for what we're all about, and it's not about even buildings and bigger congregations and all those things that we like to make it about, here's what it is to be about, that we're going to be about for the next 60 years, and bringing us back to reboot day one, here's what it's about, it's about seeking God's presence and God's glory as God's people, putting our hope and trust in him alone. And the vision hasn't changed at all. In fact, I'm more passionate and persistent about this than I ever have been. This church is about the glory of God. Our lives are about the glory of God and nothing else. And so we're going to preach. I'm going to preach through the same text I preached day one, Exodus uh, chapter 33. But as I got into studying a little bit of context this week, I realized that, man, 32 has a lot of good stuff for us as well. And so I came up with about six sermons, but I'm going to kind of cram it into one. But this is the foundation of what we're aiming for at Harvest Niagara. Point number one, you can put in your notes is simply this as we look at chapter 32, a quick bird's eye view of this. God's people worship and trust in God alone. And add this word, God's people must worship and trust in God alone. You're thinking this is a no-brainer, isn't it? It is, but isn't it easy to get our focus and our worship and our trust all mixed up and in all the wrong places? Isn't it easy? Because we see in Exodus chapter 33 with the Israelites, what a grave, truly grave mistake it is to take the focus and the worship and the trust off of God. But yet that's exactly what the Israelites do. And let's be honest, that's exactly what many churches do as they live their lives. So many churches start strong and fizzle, start strong and fade, start strong and wander. And brothers and sisters, we do not want to be that church. So some great reminders and some great warnings in chapter 32. Let me give you a quick overview of the chapter, just hitting a few verses to draw this out. Here's what we're about. We're about worshiping and trusting in God alone. This is the vision of our church. We don't have these great big plans of how many buildings we're going to have or how congregation size. Our vision for our church that we're going to be people who trust and worship in God alone. Here's the context of Exodus chapter 33, which we're going to get to in a minute. Remember back to Exodus chapter 19, Moses gets a summons by God to go up on Mount Sinai and, and get the Ten Commandments. And so, so Exodus 20 is the Ten Commandments, but at the end of chapter 19, it's a like magnificent scene. There's thunder. God puts on this light show to show his awesome glory and power. There's thunder. There's lightning. There's a smoke machine. There's fog. There's trumpets going. The band's in the background. and All God's people are standing around the holy mountain going like, whoa. God, they consecrated themselves. Remember, they couldn't touch the mountain because God is so holy, so set apart, so otherworldly from another world. They couldn't touch the mountain or they would die. So they're kind of standing around there in awe. Moses gets like, come on up here, Moses. Moses goes up on the mountain for a face-to-face with God. In that time, he gets the Ten Commandments plus other instructions that God gives him for his people. Of those instructions is is, um, a clear mandate for how the temple is supposed to, function and operate so that God can be properly worshipped by his people. So Moses is in this, this glory zone. God's people down on the ground, if you remember. They're getting all answers. was like, well, I thought Moses was only be like 10 minutes or something. It's been a long time up there. Where is he? And so while God's giving Moses, here's how you're properly worshipping his people down below. How messed up are, are they Are we? They're going like, hey, hey, Aaron, Moses isn't here yet, and God's not on our agenda, our timetable, and so why don't we get we want someone to worship Aaron? Well, why don't you give me all of your jewelry, your gold jewelry? I'm gonna make this golden calf. We'll worship this golden calf. Bad plan, don't you think? And you're thinking, like, what? Just a few chapters, they were like, ah. Now they're like, forget that, let's get a golden calf. Like, how do crazy how us humans are so fickle. get this golden calf going and people in verse 4 start even saying to these, to Aaron, these are our gods. These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, putting all their hope and their trust in this golden inanimate object instead of the living God. Aaron saw this, he built an altar before, and Aaron made proclamation and said, tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord, and and so God's people are all in this weird place, of they used to worship God, now they're worshiping this this golden calf, and make a long story short, God sees us from up above, and he's like, Moses, Moses, get down, there! there's something going down in the camp. Moses comes bundling down the mountain, and he's got the Ten Commandments in tow, and Joshua's like, is this like, are they singing like a war cry? And uh, worship, what is this going on? This, this war cry is like they're worshiping a golden calf. Moses is so exasperated, he slams the Ten Commandments and breaks them. I mean, can you imagine those precious words ever putting on a tablet? He smashes them, and, and God's not even ticked at Moses for that. But God sure is ticked at his people. Without even having the Ten Commandments in their hands, they've already broken the top two of the Ten Commandments. Have no other gods before me, and don't put any graven image. Don't, don't make yourself any graven image to worship before. So God makes it clear to his people that, man, you've made a grave. Get that word? It's not flippantly I chose that word. A grave mistake. End of chapter 32, like 3,000 men die. Then a f- plague hits. Just a hey, hey, hey! It's God and God alone. Crazy how God's people in the Book of Exodus are so quick to exchange the glory of the living God for an idol for something else. Says in Acts that they were really going back to Egypt with this Romans chapter one, they're exchanging the glory of God for the glory of something else. How foolish. How foolish, how I don't know what the word is. Get ready for chapter 33. I'm reading this. I'm like, man, this really sets up the context for chapter 33. And, and really, you know, Moses' urgency to seek God and God alone comes from the realization that, man, man, if you seek anything else, it's the worst mistake we could ever make in our lives. And, and brothers and sisters, before we're too hard on the Israelites here, before we get too hard on like, how horrible people they are, let's be honest. Like, isn't it easy to start making for ourselves golden calves in our hearts? Personally, but also as a church? Well, I've never made a golden calf. Really? Well, maybe think about this. When was the last time that you maybe started putting your trust in something other than God to be the sustainer of your life? Put our trust in people all the time, right? Other than God. We, 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 our moms and our dads and our kids and our friends and, and even our pastors. What a horrible mistake. Our hope is in God. Well, we're putting our trust in our possessions and our bank accounts, and well, uh, everything's good today because my bank account is full, but as soon as those stocks start going down, oh my goodness, right? And I mean, where's our hope really at in these things? Even, even as a church, isn't it easy to start putting our hope in the wrong things other than God? You, you know why churches go backwards? instead of forwards in their pursuit of the things of God and seeing the glory of God is because somehow I think God shows up in church and he makes all these great things happen. Somehow we as people start taking credit for it and, and we as people start, start getting our hope in all the wrong things. Well, I go to the church with the, the big number of people. Who cares? Well, I go to the church with a great big worship band and the, we go because go of the great big, who cares? We just had a great big Christmas offering. That's where our hope is. We're financially, Who cares? cares. Our hope isn't in anything other than God. And the moment we start thinking that our, our, our future is assured because of something else other than God, oh my goodness, are we in the exact same place as the Israelites, not even realizing it. We have built a golden calf. I'm not saying we have. I'm just saying, let it be a warning that may we never do that. Moses burns that thing down. Remember, scatters the ashes, makes them drink it. Our hope's in God. All this even talk, maybe one day we'll have a building. Our hope is not in a building. One day having a building. It's not there. Our hope is not in having a next year, having hundred more people than this year. That's not where our hope is. Our hope is in Jesus and, and seeking God and, and, and living our lives the way God wants us to live and worshiping him alone. We come to worship. We're not, we're not crafting up an idea of worship that's not of the Lord. We're, we're not worshiping the worship band. We're not singing to a tune. We're worshiping God. At least he does for us to even be like the Israelites and make worship something other than it is. I don't like that music. Who cares? It's about the Lord. We're here to worship God. You've seen the tendency of some people to, to start, well, I used to enjoy worshiping God, but I'm kind of bored with that now, so let me kind of make God the way I want him to be. He not perfectly aligned with the scriptures. Let me worship that version of God. That's a golden calf. It makes it uncomfortable some of the pictures we see of God in the Bible, like even the end of chapter 32, where people are dying because of improper worship. But this is the God that we worship, all glorious, all powerful, all holy, awesome God of the heavens. We bow to God alone. And our trust in moving forward is in nothing but God alone. It's not in our elders, not in our staff, not in our pastor. It's in God alone, amen? Let's be reminded of that today. I'm not scolding you today. I'm reminding you. I, even as I sat many nights just awake before the Lord and just asking God to fill me and praying and asking God for vision directions, reminding that my hope can even get in the wrong things so easily. My hope is in God. It's not in church growth, it's not what other people think of you or me, it's it's in God. So, Chapter 32, I encourage you to read this over because I think it'll be a refreshment to your soul as you check your own heart before the Lord and say, am I worshiping God and God alone in the way he desires? Luke 4, 8, when Satan was tempting Jesus, Jesus said to him, you shall worship the Lord your God and only shall you serve him. Day one, I told you this, day. whatever day this is, six and a half years later, this is still our goal, God and God alone. We worship God and God alone. But look where this takes Moses now into Exodus 33, where I want to spend most of my time. Look where it takes Moses. So at the end of chapter 32, beginning of chapter 33, God says to Moses, after all of that hoopla, after all of that lesson learned... God weeded out all those who were not gonna go according to his desires, his plans. The Lord said to Moses, depart, go up from here, and the people whom you have brought up of the land of Egypt, the land of which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, to your offspring I will give it. So God said, hey, you know what? In spite of your faithlessness of your people, I'm still gonna be faithful to you. I'm still gonna honor my promise, so get going, Moses. Take the people and get going. Verse two, I'll send an angel before you and will drive out the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Go up to the land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go up among you, lest I consume you on the way. For you are a stiff-necked people. God is ticked. Oh, God doesn't get angry. God gets angry. Rightfully so. You can see the grace of God at the end, but God gets rightfully so angry. So here's the picture. It's like God with his people. The people are having this little fight, whatever. And it's sort of like we do with our kids. when We go for a walk or a hike and they start acting up. You're like, stop it. You go ahead or I'm going to kill you and leave you in the woods. <laughs> you keep going, I'll catch up, but go before I snap. I know you've never done that. I've never done that either. Just it's hypothetically, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Hypothetical here. That's what God's saying. He's like, you know what? Go. He was going to consume them earlier, and Moses was like, please, God, don't. He's like, okay, I won't, but you get going. I'll catch up. Look at verse 4. When the people heard this disastrous word, see that? I think the disaster came in chapter 32, don't you? When all those people died, 3,000 people died. Ah, for the people, this is the disastrous word. You mean you're going to send us without your presence? Are you kidding me? They mourned. Weeping, and how can this be? But they put on no ornaments, for the Lord had said to Moses, Say to this people, you're a stiff necked people. If for a single moment I should come up among you, I'd consume you. So now take off your ornaments that I may know what to do with you. It's like a good parent. I might have said this a few times over sabbatical. Don't tell my kids they're not here this service, and the second one's recorded, so this is all good. <laughs> I said, I think I need a sabbatical for my kids now. I don't know what to do with you. A couple times again. We love our kids, right? But there's some times we're like, this is God and his kids. Like, I don't know what to do with you. But I love Moses' response, and that's the rest of this whole chapter. This disastrous word comes. Look where Moses runs. He runs to the tent of meeting. The tent of meeting back then was, uh, uh, well, verse 7. Now Moses used to take this tent and pitch it outside the camp, far off from the camp. He called it the tent of meeting. And he'd go there and he'd meet with God. And so, again, the, 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 the significance of it all, the, the, the clouds would come down and the people stand outside their tents and you like, man, Moses is meeting with God face to face. He's like, okay, God, if this is true, like, we got to figure this out. I need to, I need to straight up face to face with you right now. I need to figure this out because this is disastrous and we can't keep going this direction. He meets with God face to face. I love the picture of the Old Testament. Just a little side note how we don't have to have a tent of meeting anymore. The Holy Spirit dwells within us. We can have this tent of meeting anytime, time, any place, face-to-face with God, like Moses did. We can inquire of God and say, God, I don't understand. Like, help me figure this out. Let's, let's talk about this. So he goes and has this face-to-face. And here's the part of the prayer that I really want, really want to pick up. Verse 12, he goes, and we don't know what he said in there, but it was significant. The people knew it was significant. But here's the prayer that I found myself praying Almost every night of the last two months. Not taking for granted the past six and a half years, but looking ahead. Okay, God, you've done some great things, but listen to this. Moses said to the Lord, see, you say to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom, I will send, who, whom you will send with me. Oh, good, God, you've given me this task, you've given me this assignment, you've given me this commandment, but, but how am I gonna do this thing, Lord? I can relate to that. Yet you have said to me, I know you by name. And you've also found favor in my sight. See the intimacy in that? I know you by name. This is, this is Moses, God and Moses' special relationship, the same relationship God has with every one of his kids. He knows us, not just about us, but he knows us intimately and personally. It it's signifies an intimate, loving relationship. I know you by name. You've also told me, God, I have found favor in your sight. Now therefore, if this is true, Here's two things I need from you before we take another step. Show me now your ways that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. God, just show me what to do. Show me how to walk. Show me how to act. I don't know what to do, but I want to know you in a way that changes my life and the trajectory of this nation is what he's saying. Consider, too, that this nation is your people. Look at verse 14, and God said, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. Moses keeps going, he said to him, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here, for how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us, so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? This is the consuming passion of God's people. You know what God's people are all about more than anything else? All about the presence of God. This is the second thing you write in your notes. This is where we're going as a church. We are gonna be a people passionately consumed with the presence of God because God's presence is all that matters to his people. It's God's presence that matters to us more than anything else. More than church growth, more than buildings, more than more programs and all, this, all the things we get sidetracked with, it's God's presence that is the eternal difference in the lives of God's people, amen? amen? And Moses is basically saying to the Lord, he's like, God, it's not a complicated passage, is it? I don't have to get into all these word definitions for you today and all the it's simple. God, if you don't go, don't take me from here. I don't wanna go. First message I ever preached to our core group summer of 2010 was Exodus 33. Ruth and I spent so many many hours praying, okay, God, if if you want us to pack up all that we know, you want us to go to Niagara and plant this church with these 20 people, you gotta make it clear because if you're not going, I'm not going. Preached that passage and Brian and Grace were sitting over on the side and they were all shifty and squirming. I thought, oh man, I'm not making a hit here at all. All awkward and uncomfortable and I totally misread that. Brian came running up to me after. He's like, that's the same prayer we've been praying about this church. Became the foundation of our church. First message I ever preached in this to our people was the same thing. Oh, What's this about? It's about going with God in God's presence and seeing the manifest presence of God lighting up the hearts of his people because if he's not going, we're not going. This isn't gonna be a man-made endeavor. This is my thoughts. This is a God thing or a nothing thing. Not the same place today. With greater urgency, I think. God, if you're not going with us for the next seven years, don't take us up from here. Like dissolve this church. Do what you got to do, but don't take us up from here. That's going to fail. That's not going to be a good plan. That's going to be frustrating. It's going to be hard. There's going to be no fruit. If you don't take us, don't send us. I know some of you are like, "Wow, that's pretty crazy." It's true, though, man. That's how desperately we need God. God's presence. Remember when I was a kid? I think I shared this story with you before. Remember when I was a kid? Um, our great big family outings used to be uh, these camping excursions in, in our backyard. And so what we do is have a little pizza party and pop, and we set up. We had two little tents, two little like one-man tents, but we fit my dad and myself in one, and my sister and my mom in another one. And we put them close by, and we'd have these. This is our this was our great big family excursion, camping in the backyard. We used to have fun with them. And now we get all settled in and it'll be all fun, you know, you go back and forth. Good night, good night, shut up, you know. <laughs> Start poking the tent to try and scare your sister and all those things you do. And it almost happened every time, at least to my recollection, my dad might not remember this. Remember, like almost every time getting in that tent, getting all settled down, and finally my dad's calming us all down. And inevitably I'd have to go to the bathroom. You know those times when you're like, you finally get out there and you'd be like, oh man, dad, dad, I think I have to. He's like, no. Just go. The house is like 30 feet away. I'm finally comfortable, it's finally quiet. I'm not going with you. I remember as a kid, you're peeking out the back, in the back of your tent towards the house, and it wasn't far, and there was, I mean, was a in city, so it wasn't in the no country or anything, but I remember just like, man, it, it was the scariest thing in the world to run 50 feet from the tent to the house. Remember that? Remember peeking out? Like, Dad, there's somebody out there for sure. He's like, come on! There's nobody out there except for you in a couple seconds. But, Dad, they're right by the house. There's bushes, and there's something ruffling. Maybe there's an animal. Maybe, it was, a, maybe it was a coyote out here. We're in the city, son dad, just come. If you don't come, I'm not going. My dad be like, I'm not going. Just go, just go. I can't do it. I was too fearful. I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. I was a scaredy cat. This would work every time. I'm like, oh, I can't do it. Dad, I guess we'll just see what happens. <laughs> 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 Fine. <laughs> <laughs> but what a difference when you get out of the tent and you're walking with your dad, like those shadows don't matter anymore. Also, everything becomes clear, and of course, that's nothing in the bushes. That's the rock that we put there last week. And it's the same thing spiritually with God. If God doesn't go with us, church, I'm too terrified to take another step forward, aren't you? We don't just want. To manufacture church. We want the spirit of the living God to be present with his people to accomplish his purposes. That's the only way it happens is when God's spirit is present with his people accomplishing his purposes. It can't happen any other way. All this stuff that's happened has got nothing to do with us, it's got to do with God's presence. Here's what it means to walk with God moving forward in his presence. It means this, and I want to recalibrate our hearts to this because I think we started with this and somehow we've morphed away from this over the last six and a half years. Not totally, but there's not the same urgency for these things that we had seven years ago, we don't have the same urgency for these things we have now. We might talk about them still, but I don't see the same fervent passion in our church. I didn't see it in my own heart until I stopped and took a break, and God showed me, you're not as passionate about the same things in the same way. You got to get back to what matters most, and here's, here's what it means to move forward with God seeking his presence. It means this, we are desperate for God's presence as a church. We have to be desperate for God's presence as a church. More than anything else, we have to pray the prayer, God, I want you to be alive and well in my life, in my church. I don't want to settle for just coming and going through the motions. I want to experience the living power of God. We're desperate for you, God. Otherwise, our worship is just going to be singing songs. Our messages are going to be nice little homilies. Our small groups are going to be nice little gatherings together. But we're not going to encounter God the way that God desires his people to encounter him. It's an urgency for the presence of God. Let me ask you this. Do you wake up urgent for the presence of God in the morning in your own heart? Do you come to church on Sunday morning with an urgency for the presence of God? I know we did seven years ago. Do we now? Or has it become all commonplace to us? Well, of course God's done it. He's gonna do it. Here's what I pray every Saturday night. God, don't fill our church just with bodies. Fill our church with the presence of your Holy Spirit. That's what matters most. I don't care if there's 500 people here or 10,000 people here. If God's presence isn't here, we fail. I want to encourage you to get back to the urgency of praying and seeking the presence of God in your life in our church. Here's the second thing it means. Is, it means we're, we have a determined need for God. How is Moses so desperate for God? Because he's, he has determined in his heart that he needs God. God's just not an add-on to Moses and his people. This is a, a necessity like breath is to our lungs. God's spirit is to his life in the church. We need God. John chapter 15, verse five. You know what? I am the vine, you are the branch. You remain in me and I in you. You'll bear much fruit, for apart from me you can do Do we really need God? Oh my goodness, do we really need God? Well, I'm desperate for God because I'm preaching, but you need to be just as desperate for God every single day. Apart from God, you can do nothing. Wake up in the morning and praying, God, I desperately need you today to help me live my life for the glory of God. I desperately need you today to, to give me perspective and, and, and power for the day ahead. Coming to church, not just coming to expecting to be fed and, and you know, I'm going to come and do my thing and go home, but God, I'm desperate that you might use me even at church to minister to somebody else for the glory of God. Coming to serve and somehow thinking that you're going to serve all by yourself in your own power and make something happen, that's not going to work brothers and sisters you can put a lot of service time in you Might see a lot of things happen but you're not going to see the eternal life of god in you and others spring up reliance on god that's what it means to move forward with god seeking his presence and reliance on god do you have the same reliance on god today that you first had when you were first saved as a church, do we still have the same reliance on God when we didn't know if anyone was gonna show up? Now that we know five, six, seven hundred people are gonna show up, do we still have the same reliance on God? Or are we kind of back on our laurels going, oh, wow, well, people are just gonna show up and God's gonna do it, he's gonna do it. God, give us an urgency to be like Moses. God, if you don't go, I'm not going. Here's a third thing, devoted to seeking God. Devoted to seeking God, I... Don't see it in the text here, but the phrase truly implies it. Moses at this place was like, God, I'm going to seek you and you alone. You're my top priority. It's not my desires. It's not my agendas. It's not what I want. It's what you want. You drive this ship and I'm going. God is our first priority. I'm going to seek God before any decision I make. I'm going to make sure I am seeking God first. I just want God's power and God's plan. That's what produces fruit. Not my plan, not your plan. It's God's power and God's plan. And guess how it comes? It comes with God's presence. It comes with God's presence as a priority. 1 Timothy 6, 19, and Jesus is the life that is truly life. This complete surrender to God, I want your presence, I want you to lead us. Whatever it takes, wherever we go, I'm in. Just be with us. Might be out of our comfort zones. So That's okay. As long as we have God, we're good. It's a nice surrender deal. Do you guys realize that the greatest need we have as a church is not some well-established plan? I said it all right, I'll say it again. It's not a building. I hear it a lot lately. When we get in our building, when we get in our, it's not that. It's not more programs. It's not more people. You know what it is? An urgency for the presence of the living God. I don't mean, know but I long for the presence of the living God. Long for it in our church. Psalm 73, verse 25, whom have I in heaven but you, O God? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides for you. Romans chapter 8, if God is for us, who can be against us? Love what William MacDonald says in his commentary. Safety does not consist in the absence of danger, but in the presence of God. pray this prayer a lot as elders over the past six and a half years and we're gonna pray it, continue praying it, praying it with fervency and urgency and it is simply this, God, we don't wanna run ahead of you, we don't wanna lag behind you, we wanna walk in step with you. Continually. Isn't it amazing how gracious God is in this text? That's why 32 comes in hand because these people, Moses and his people, they just deserve destruction. Stiff-necked people, they deserve destruction. You're like, where's the mercy in that? The mercy in that and the grace in that is like the next chapter. They're asking for his presence. And they're like, like, dad, we're not going to walk down this path. God's like, okay, I'll go with you. Why? Because he loves them still. And they are his kids. He can never disown his children. Amazing. On the last chapter, God was ready to breathe fire on his people. Now through Moses' intercession, God's ready to protect them with a ring of fire. Here's the third thing as we think about the future. What's our vision for our church? We're going to worship God and God alone. We're going to seek the presence of the living God, settling for nothing less than all of God in our lives, in our church. Here's the third thing we're going to pursue the glory of God like never before. Look at to see God's glory in life as our ultimate experience. Look at verse 17. Look at verse 17. Moses is like, how are we gonna be distinct from all the people? How are we gonna be distinct as a church from all the other people, all the other mainline denominations who have forgotten God? They still call themselves church. How are we gonna be distinct? It's God's presence that makes us distinct. How are we distinct from all the moral people on this planet? Uh, it's God's presence that has changed us and transforming us that makes us distinct. So now Moses says this in verse 17. The Lord says to Moses, this very thing that you have spoken, I will do. For you have found favor favor in my sight, and I know you by name. He says it twice. You're mine, Moses. These are my people. I love them. I can't forsake them forever. I might be angry now, but my anger won't last forever. Look at verse 18, most powerful prayer in Scripture. Right here, Moses says this. All right, God, if this is true, four words. Show me your glory. All right, God, show me your glory. Give me all of you, God. I don't just want a part of you. I just want a glimpse of you. I want all of who you are. Don't forget Moses praises. He's already seen the burning bush. He's already seen the cloud by day and the fire by night. He's seen God on the Mount Sinai. He's met with God in the tent of meeting, and yet we have this sense that Moses is like, okay, God, I want absolutely 100%. All of you I'm not gonna be satisfied with anything less. Show me your glory. Give me assurance you're going with me. Show me the fullness of who you are. I just need to know the fullness of God. This is the ultimate experience in life, seeing the fullness of God. Moses' late night craving in this text isn't the bag of chips or the Big Mac. You know what his late night craving is? Fullness of God. God. I want God and all of God. I don't want to be satisfied with anything less than the fullness of the glory and the beauty of God. I want to experience the totality of who God is in my life. I just want to get a little snippet of God. I don't want to see a little bit of his power. I want all of it. Oh God, give me all of yourself. It's a bold prayer because we learn a little bit later on that no one can see his face and live. Chapter verse 20. I think Moses got that. I wonder if it was a risk of his, of like, okay, God, like, I might die doing this, but this is the one thing I want to die doing—is seeing the fullness of Your glory. Yeah, again, look at the mercy and the grace of God here. Bold prayer, please show me Your glory. We're kind of afraid to pray those bold prayers, thinking maybe God won't, maybe God won't answer. God didn't even hesitate verse 19 and he said this I'll make all of my goodness pass before you notice his glory is what the totality of his goodness all of his majesty all of his power all of his beauty that's his glory all of his goodness in one place manifest presence pass before you and I'll proclaim before you the name my name the lord and I'll be gracious To whom I'll be gracious and I'll show mercy on whom I'll show mercy. What's God saying by that? He's like, I'm going to show you my goodness. I'm going to reveal my name to you. The greatest thing we can ever understand is the name of God. The Lord, Yahweh, Jehovah, the all-existent one, the undefinable one. The one who is self-contained in every single way, who needs nothing. This is what Moses is going to see from God. Look what God says. I'll be gracious to whom I'll be gracious and I'll show mercy on whom I'll show mercy. You know what God's saying to him? I don't have to do this. Just because you asked doesn't mean I have to do this. I'm going to be gracious to you. I'm going to show you favor. I'm going to to be merciful to you. But he said, you cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. So he tells him, hey, there's a place by me where you should stand on the rock, and when my glory passes by, I'll put you in a cleft of the rock, and I'll cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I'll take away my hand and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. Moses, you have no idea what you're asking for, but because I know you're a pretty simple man, I'm going to come through for you. You go hide your face, kind of cover your face in the rock. I'm going to pass by, and that's all you can handle. But I'm going to give you a glimpse. And it's the greatest glimpse of anything you will ever see in your entire life. This is the pinnacle of human experience right here, right now. I'm going to show you a glimpse of my glory. I don't know what you I read that and my heart skips a little bit. I'm like, man, wouldn't that be awesome? To see the glory of God, manifest presence of God. He dwells in unapproachable light. He's too holy, he, he, he's too perfect, he's too pure, he's, he's too magnificent for us. If we saw him, we would die. You know, you look at the lunar eclipse and, and your, eyes can't see, your eyes can't see it because it's too strong for your eyes, it'll burn your retina out. Well, if we see God manifest the fullness of God, like we die not just to burn our retina out. But can you imagine catching a glimpse of the glory? People drove for miles to see that lunar eclipse. Can you imagine seeing a glimpse of the glory of God? I've seen a lot of beautiful things in my life. I've been in the Rocky Mountains. I've stood in Phoenix, close to the Grand Canyon. Not at the Grand Canyon, but seen a lot of the mountains there. I've been in the Nicaraguan rainforest. I've been in Jerusalem and some of the greatest things there. i have Man, I'd love to catch a glimpse of the glory of God. There's nothing compared to the glory of God. Here's what God's word says oh, to us. He says, although you can't see him physically, here's what God's word says, that we can see God spiritually through our spirits as we, as we, as we first surrender our lives to God through, through Jesus Christ, repent of our sins, and put our hope in Christ. We can see a glimpse of the glory of God in our hearts. Our hearts can light up with the glory of God. It says in Matthew 5 that the, the, those blessed are those who are pure in heart for they shall see God. It's, it's a glimpse of God here in heaven. It's going to be a full reality of God here on earth. It's a full reality of God when we get to heaven. We can see glimpses of God here and now. And, and, and we don't want to be just satisfied as God's people going through life. Going to church day in and day out and never catching a glimpse of the glory of God in our souls. And this is what we want to pursue as a church. We want to pursue the glory of God. We want to pray along with, with Moses. God, show me your glory. We've been praying it for seven years. We've seen the glory of God. How do we see the glory of God? Change lives. We see the glory of God through changed lives, through salvations and baptisms and people having new perspective and, and changed desires. We see the glory of God every time we open up the word of God and we read something that we understand that helps us, helps us be like, wow, God's awesome. That's the glory of God. We see the glory of God every time we, we pray and we see an answer to prayer. That's the glory of God. Oh, God answered my prayer. No, that's the glory of God revealing his glory to us. We see the glory of God when we come and we worship. And man, it's not just a song we sing. Man, we get consumed with how great and how awesome and how good God is. That's a glimpse of the glory of God, which we're gonna experience perfectly in heaven. Worship. We see the glory of God as, as even households make Christ the center. Don't pursue the things of the world and don't live like everybody else. But Christ is the center. We're going to live completely different. We've seen the glory of God. But brothers and sisters, how much more do we want to see? See, the glory of God and walk our walk with God as, as sin is being destroyed in our lives and righteousness is being repl- is replaced, in those old sinful habits, that's the glory of God. We see the glory of God and we open our mouths in evangelism and, and share the good news of Jesus whether people accept or not. Like you just, your heart becomes alive to the fact that God is real and God is doing something. And I, for one, don't want to stop pursuing the glory of God. Our job as a church is to bask in the glory of God and help as many people as possible see the glory of God around us. we we can't as a church now come to the place we think we've arrived we've seen all the glory that God's gonna show us and now we just coast the rest of our lives No, look at Moses he's seen it all he's seen it all before but there's this insatiable desire to see more of God more of God in my life more of God in our church more of God in our community yes God this is what we want show me your glory Lord show me your glory Lord show me your glory show me your glory, Lord. It's the greatest prayer you'll ever pray. Show me your glory. What your heart long for more than anything else in this life? More than more friends? More than accolades? More than big mansions and, and everything else? You know what your heart longs for? It's the glory of God. If you're here and you've tasted it, you know. More of that, please, God. I found myself praying that a lot over the last two months. God, more of your glory in me, God. More of your glory, more of sin being crushed in me, more of a desire for you in my heart, God. More hunger for your word, more hunger for prayer, more more urgency for the things that matter most. In our church, God, may we pursue the glory of God. May we have people passionately consumed with pursuing the glory of God. This is what God created us for. Oh, God, protect us from just coming in and thinking that we've experienced all there is about God. No more to learn, no more to grow, no more power to see, no more miracles to do in us and through us. Forgive us, Lord, for the times we thought that. Protect us, God, from just coming in and thinking that now it is just to do church and live life like everybody else the rest of our lives. No, 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 no. More glory, God, please. In our hearts and our lives. This is what we're pursuing as a church. Worship God alone. I want to keep going after God's presence. And pursuing the glory of God. This is what we exist for. Reality is, 50 years after I die, no one's going to remember my name. I'm okay with that. But let's live our lives in such a way that there's many people sharing and seeing the wonder and the glory of God because of the lives that we live for the purposes of God. This is the core of a church. Yes, we have plans, we have dreams, we have visions, we have things that we want to do, places we want to go, but but not if God's not going, not if God's glory leaves, not if God's presence leaves and God's glory is missed. You know, the biggest detriment to every church today that is dead is they've forgotten to pursue the presence and the glory of God. Many churches start strong. Many churches have passion right off the top. That's easy. It's the sustained faithfulness to doing and pursuing what matters most to God. Let's be the people that God can say, Yes, I want to pour my presence upon. That they may see me and see all of my goodness flow through them into the ends of the earth. That the whole nations may see that God is alive and God is real. God's not done with us yet. God is not done with us yet. God doesn't add another person to this church, I'm okay with that, but I believe God has much more in store for us than to sit back now and have our nice little Christian holy huddle here and do our check marks, checking in, checking out, checking in, checking out, missing the presence and the glory and the worship of our God. So I come back renewed with this as our vision. What's the vision of our church? You can tell people what's the vision of our church. This is it. What's your church stand for? This is it. We're going after Jesus. We're going to worship him. We're going to to pursue his presence, and we're going to pursue the glory of God. This is it. This is what our church is about. Everything else falls into place. You with me? You with me? Let's pray a prayer of dedication right now. God, this is what we want to be about for the next 106 years. Father, we do look back and say thank you for all you've done in our hearts and in our church, but yet, God, we look forward with anticipation and expectancy, expectancy, saying, oh, God, there's so much more to do. Father, we commit again today as a congregation, as your people, to putting aside our agendas, to putting aside all that we desire in the flesh, and God, pursuing your presence more than anything else. God, we want to know that you're with us, Lord. We want you to lead us and guide us. We don't want to design what we think for this church and then ask you to bless it, God. We humble ourselves and say, oh God, by your presence, lead us on to where you want us to go. God, we want to see your glory. We want to see your glory anew, afresh in our own hearts, God. Give us glimpses of who you are as we study your word, as we pray, as we worship, God. Would you light up our hearts again to see the wonder and the glory of who you are? Not just as we gather, but as we even live our lives, Father. Would you refresh us with an anticipation. Would you help us to know the greatest pursuit in life is the glory of God. May we live for your glory, Lord. May others see your glory in us as Moses came off the mountain shining so bright, uncontainable brightness that he had to veil his face. God, would your people here at Harvest Niagara be walking around our communities and in our homes with, with hearts that are aglow for the glory of Jesus Christ. That people would see that we're different because the presence of of God and the fact that we've experienced Your glory, may we not dabble in the things of the world, Lord. May we not waste our lives on things don't, that don't matter. May we be passionately consumed pursuing Your glory. May we see Your glory now, Lord, as we sing this final song and as we leave here. May we uh, share our lives with those around us whom You've given us. We don't take our. God for granted. We don't take our lives today for granted. Every breath comes from you. We don't take our church family for granted. We're so thankful for the people you've put in our lives that we can share in this pursuit with. Help us as we leave, Lord, to love you and love others with all that we have for your name's sake. In Jesus' name, amen.